This year at InvestFest, Diddy, a billionaire, mentioned he fired his business development person who earned a percentage of his earnings, and he hired a CFO with a salary. He said he was losing money using this artist model in his business before. And now he wants someone with their eyes on his money every day and is going to use the corporate model. I am Shanice Miller, and welcome to my podcast, Do Less. Yes, that's right, do less. It used to be cool to work 60 hours a week, but the world has gotten smarter and realized why spend more time to make the same or less money. I help small business owners build systems and processes to help them scale and find more time for themselves and their families. I'm going to provide you the best practices and all the tools and tips to scale your business. Welcome to my show. So today I wanted to bring on Danielle, who is a CFO. So Danielle, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. When was the time you lost money because you didn't implement things fast enough? Oh, Lord. It might be a little more of me losing sanity and then losing money before um, because I didn't implement fast enough. I think where this happens the most for me and the reason I say sanity is it's almost always when I know I need to hire somebody, whether it's hiring like outsourced help to get something implemented or it's hiring on my team and bringing on a new staff. Something about hiring that person just takes me a little bit more time to wrap my head around. I'm a perfectionist and I want to make sure everything lines up and I'm ready to go and I've got all the things in place. And inevitably, I always end up doing it later than I probably should have. How does that make you feel when you end up doing it later? What are some of those things that end up coming up? Um, Overwhelmed. We've all had the burnout of like you're doing all the things and you know that you need to get help. And when you let me phrase it this way. I knew the minute that I needed to start looking for help. Mm. And I was like, no, but I can power through and we can save a little bit more. And we, but when you do that and you wait to that point, and I've done this, so I, I can speak from experience as well as from the clients that I work with. When you wait for that point of like, okay, no, we really have to, then it's really hard to train. Yeah. Then you've got to find time, not just to do the doing, but train the person to help you do the doing. And it's, it's overwhelming. I would say that is probably the number one feeling in that space. How did you know when that point was where you said you need to hire? So for me, it's when I started working more hours than I wanted to. It's when I was putting in more hours than were ideal. And I knew that I could have somebody else helping me do some of these things. Mm, so feeling really grueling. It's interesting. I love that the fact that you're talking about hiring systems, because I always talk about how you can do more using systems without hiring a team. So I love that <laughs> duality in those different perspectives on things. Like, of course, yes, I am a big person of like delegation too. And I've been in that same place as well, where I have said I wanted to hire someone, but like, oh, maybe the money's not coming in at that direct area yet. So I'm like, I can wait for this hire. And what I learned was to start doing the interview process during that time. Yes. And then may hire a little bit further down the line, have like two or three people in mind, you know, just for a couple of backups, like your first, your second and third. So that when I was ready to hire, then I could just go right in and have someone instead of really pushing because I used to do that all the time, like sitting there thinking I need to hire for this position saying I should hire wait to hire, not realizing that there was that hiring process. And then just like you said, getting burned out making myself overworked, overwhelmed, so tired, exhausted, those 12, 14 hour days, 
just it 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 really you know pulls you down and it makes you mm-hmm. want to sell your business it makes you kind of like want to quit want to start over do something else that shiny object oh this will be less work so i really love the fact that you pointed those things out so what have you done to try to fix it because perfectionism that's like an issue that is something that isn't just going to go away because I said it, I announced it, that I, you know, in the hiring is something that's going to keep coming, you know, whether it's trying to have somebody new come on board because someone else is leaving for maybe a better opportunity or, you know, not a good fit anymore. So what do you think is the fix for it? Because we all know that we need to hire at certain points in times. I think the number one fix for a perfectionist is accountability. Having that, having a coach, having an accountability partner, another business bestie that is willing to call you out on the perfectionism and is willing Who's to put it Who's your business bestie? Upfront. Call her out <laughs> or him. Oh my gosh. Um, so my business bestie is Beth Carter. She is a bookkeeper that does a phenomenal job and she will be the first one to tell me, mm, nope, we're not doing that. <laughs> I like that. So you have someone to tell you, like, I'm bouncing this idea off of you. But I know, like, a lot of times being an entrepreneur can also be a little bit lonely. So when Mm -hmm. you, I don't know if you ever were that lone wolf kind of trying to do it on your own, what would you do in that instance? Then I revert to things that work with my perfectionism. So time blocking or calendar reminders or things like that, where I'm like, no, we promised ourselves if we did this thing that we would do this thing. I'm very big on like the habit stacking and that kind of stuff. So I do it in my business and I'm like, okay, I promised myself, I ran the numbers. I knew if we hit this number, it was time to hire. So we're just going to bite the bullet and we're going to do it and we're not going to wait and we're going to get it in place. I love how it's data driven. Because it's no longer like a guess or like, I see this money coming into my account, so now I should hire. It's like, I said, when we hit this point, this goalpost, this mark, then we can hire. But before then, we know that we don't have it in our budget to hire. I think that's a very important issue. So I want I want to hear a little bit more because I feel like we're already starting to dig down onto this. But how do you apply corporate financial strategy to businesses so they can become profitable and make money? So you just said it. the The magic in corporate finances is having a budget and using a budget. And when I say budget, it's both your budget and what accountants will call a cash flow forecast. Because when you build a budget, that's usually built on your profit and loss, your income statement, whichever word you're more familiar with. And it doesn't always reflect everything that will show in cash. So having both sides of it helps you predict the future of your business. And that's where when it comes to me making some of those decisions and where I set myself certain milestones is on that budget or that forecast, I know if we hit this number, we can afford this thing. So I need us to get to this point. And when we do, I've promised myself we're going to do it and we're just going to bite the bullet and go. I really, really like the fact that you do that. And I think this is very important, especially for a lot of our service providers, our solopreneurs who are out here, because a lot of times our budgets are based on the past. We're looking at like, what did we spend last year? What did we bring in last year? Instead of that future forecasting, which is so important because we need to factor into the budget of like, what if I want to invest in this coaching program? What if I want to invest into getting some more PR or some marketing or some ads? And instead of kind of 
thinking about things from the past, looking at how much we spent before, we are creating a new budget for what we're looking at for the future so that we can really plan out our goals. That's so in alignment with how we do our 90 day strategy planning sessions, where we're really looking at like, where is it that you want to be in your business? And you know, just life in general as well, because our businesses aren't everything. Yes. (laughs) And it's like, let's break that down, you know, over the next 90 days, what are the individual tasks that we have to do? And I'm imagining it's the same with the budget. What are the individual budget numbers that we need to make or that we need to have coming in and going out in order to start to align ourselves with this particular goal? So I love that. Can you tell me a little bit more how you do this when you're working with clients? Yeah, so we work, I work with all of my clients in kind of a six-part framework. When it comes to accounting, the very first thing you need to make sure you do is, it's called balance sheet reconciliations. It's making sure That's in your so bookkeeper's... technical terms right now. You're just <laughs> I'm going to get into it. over my head. <laughs> You're going to have to your break this down Your bookkeeper is probably doing it for you. Think of it like, and I'm, I'm going to date myself here, balancing your checkbook. When you have a bank account and you want to make sure that what's in the bank account is actually available to spend, you have to make sure you haven't written any checks that are going to hit later because nobody wants a bounce check. And I know we don't use a whole lot of checks now, but it's that same concept, but you're applying it to your bookkeeping and saying what's in my bank account for the business, is it actually really available for me to spend or is the number on my my P&L or my balance sheet showing something different based on the activity that we've had. Mm. And really all that's about is making sure your bookkeeper's doing it. I don't want any business owner here to think that they need to know how to do a balance sheet reconciliation. You don't, but you do need to make sure your bookkeeper's doing it. So that's the very first step I go through with clients. And then the next step is to look at revenue and figure out what is bringing in money in your business? What's bringing the money in? What are your different products, services, packages? How are you bringing that in? But also, what is it costing you to do that? And we get into what we'll call profit margin. And profit margin tells you how much profit are you making on that sale after you've provided all the goods and services related to it. And for all of the service providers listening, this means your time, your people's time, the hours that go into the service are part of that calculation. They need to be up in what we call your cost of goods sold so that you really know what your profit is and what your profit margin is. I love that, Danielle, because so many times, and I think I was just listening to an interview and it was someone who did have like a cleaning business. And so like over the three years, she said that like her business made like 1.1 million or something like that. But I believe like that first year, she only took home like 16,000. And so like that, that's a huge gap in between like the revenue that we hear with some of these, I call them vanity, vanity metrics, but it's like, okay, you're telling me you're making all of this revenue, but really the bottom line is what are you bringing home, including mm-hmm. the hours you're working that you're not calculating in? Because that happens a lot too. Like, oh yeah, this project doesn't take that long. I hand it over to my assistant, but not factoring in the fact that I have to review this. I have to, there are other things that are involved. So I love that you're pointing that out. Tell me more about your framework. 
Yeah, so that gives you kind of the if you're if you've ever looked at your PL and if you haven't, I challenge you go look at it now, figure out what it looks like. The top of your PL, that's the revenue section. We're gonna look at revenue, we're gonna look at cost of goods sold. The bottom of your PL is all the expenses. So the next step in our framework is to look at those expenses. And we go through and we categorize all of those expenses in one of three buckets. Anything you're spending money on that's not related to generating the revenue is either going to be what I call a required cost, where you are required to pay that in order to stay in business. I don't know a single business owner that can't go without cell phone and internet. You have to have them to run a business these days. So that would be a required cost. I mean, I might say that like retail therapy is a required cost as well. Is that really a required (laughs) cost? (laughs) I mean, if you could get your CPA to run it through... Which actually is the second bucket. So we all know that there are things you can run through your business, but they don't necessarily add value to the business. They add value to the business owner. So those are what we call desired costs. And when we do any kind of benchmarking on your owner's compensation, what you're paying yourself, we consider those desired costs part of your compensation. If you're able to run something through the business that you would have otherwise paid out of pocket, then it really is adding to the the value for the business owner as a compensation. So you have required costs, you have owners, or you have required costs, and then you have the desired costs. The very last bucket and the majority of the expenses on your P&L are going to be an investment in your business. They may be a good investment, they may be a bad investment, but they are an investment in your business. And we look at each and every one of those with our clients to determine what is this expense giving back to you in time or money, or both. And if it's not doing any of those, then the next question is, is it marketing? Because that doesn't always happen immediately with marketing. If it is marketing, we want to set a deadline and figure out how long do we want to let this go before we decide it is or isn't adding value. Everything else, if it's not giving you time, money, or both, why are we paying for it? Mm. So give me an example of when you worked with a client and you had to go through this particular exercise with them. Like, what did you see that they were spending on that wasn't really giving them that time, money or value or both? Because, you know, you always hear people tell you invest, invest, invest. And a lot of things I do feel like are being passed off under that veil of investment where it's like, mm, maybe that wasn't quite an investment. Yep, I will use an example. And the example I'm going to give, I'm going to talk about an attorney and her legal education units. But this applies to anybody that's doing any kind of coaching program or things like that, where you're learning things. That's what I want you to keep in mind with this example. So this attorney was, we were going through the exercise and she had, I'm just going to throw out a number, let's say it was $1,000 for her, what they call CLE, which is continuing education units. As an attorney, they are required, you have to get education units every year. I get it. As a CPA, I know I have to get education units every year to maintain my license. A lot of other things have to do something similar. So yes, it's required. But then the question I had for her was, I know as a CPA, I can go to a website, pay 200 bucks, get unlimited access to units. And if the only thing I'm doing it for is just to get the credit, I can do it for 200 bucks, not a thousand. So then the required cost really is probably one or $200. The rest of that, the other 800, what did it give you? Mm -hmm. Did you have time to implement it? What did you learn? Because she came back to me and she's like, well, it was about X, Y, and Z. And I really wanted to learn that for the business. And I said, that's great. Have you implemented it? Mm. Have you done anything with it? And the answer was no, not yet. 
So while it's great to go learn all these things, if you're not able to take action and implement on them, they're not really adding value back to your business. Wow. So that is amazing that you really talk to people about all of these things because I've heard and seen people who would sign up for courses and things like that. And it's like, I think this course is going to be great for me to sign up for because it will be good value, just like you said. But if you don't have the time, and I've heard so, so many times, it's like people are buying the courses and they're not going through them. They're not completing them. They are, you know, maybe watching a module or two. And so it's just like, well, how good was that? Was that more of like an impulse type of buy? Because it makes you feel good now since you feel like you're investing in your business by buying this but it's really not that. So, but that seems a little subjective. How do you kind of get down to the bottom of that with some of your clients? And how does that feel to have to have that conversation with them? It is totally subjective and it's very much helping that. It's almost helping them have the conversation with themselves. Mm. If they felt like it was valuable, they went through it, then it is, it's giving you a return on your investment. But if it's not, if if you have that conversation and you realize, oh, but it didn't really give me anything, then it's that opportunity to say, and don't get me wrong, I have a coach. I love coaching programs. I think it's important to have accountability and learn and grow in your business. But the next time you go to hire one, it gives you a moment of pause to say, do I have the time to really use this? Is this going to be beneficial to my business? And it may not always be the time to use it. I'll use my own personal business coach. We do a lot more accountability than we do learning and growth. So it's not so much me implementing. It's, hey, back to the perfectionism. I promised myself I was going to do this thing. And she's there to call me out and say, but did you? Mm, Okay. (laughs) So there's definitely value. It's defining the value to you. And that is going to be subjective. And if it is valuable to you, then it's worth doing. But if it's not, and if it's not adding value to you and your business, then that's not the kind of investment we want to make. Okay. What are some other important things that you think business owners should think about when they are investing or when they are thinking about becoming profitable and trying to make money? So that the most important thing that you can do when you're investing and trying to be profitable is ask yourself what the return on investment is. Mm. When you're going to take on a new cost, let me take a step back. The first most important thing is to make sure you've already gone through, you have a budget and you know if you can afford it. (laughs) You can't just run it up on a credit card and say it's going to pay off and it's going to make you a million. So you'll be able to pay off the credit card by the time that it comes through. (laughs) Oh my so when we get to like cash flow stuff with clients the I credit cards are the number one thing you want to make sure you're paying off. It is such high interest. And don't get me wrong, there are ways to invest in your business. There is such a thing as good debt. There are reasons to take on debt and have that in place. But impulse buys are not one of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and I will say the big distinction between what I will say is good debt and bad debt and I hate to add that connotation, but The biggest distinction is your intention. If it's done intentionally and thoughtfully, then it probably is something that's going to add value and you've thought it through and it's it's good debt to take on. Mm -hmm. But if it was an impulse buy or we ran out of cash or I just can't pay it, those are not intentional, thoughtful decisions. I do like to think of that. And I do love how you brought that up. But I love to think about those impulse buys as if I ask myself, what did I spend that? however many dollars on, would I be able to say it? 
like, you know, going into Target and you did all this impulse buy and all of a sudden you realize like your Target bill is two, three, four hundred dollars. And it's just like, what did I really buy after going into Target? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's not me. I'm kind of like one of those people who are like, I'm coming in here with this particular purpose in mind and I'm going to get in and get out. But I do know yep. so many other people who, who are like, you know, I went to Target. I don't know what I bought. And it's in to me, it's, it feels insane, but it's just that's not how my brain works. And it's it's shiny object syndrome. When you see that new course that's being put out and you're like, oh, that's going to make me a million dollars. And you're like, it's only 50 bucks. Let me try it. Yeah. Which is fine if you can afford it. Don't put that 50 bucks on a credit card and then hope it's going to make you a million. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you create these safety nets in your cash flow then? in order to make sure that you know that you can afford these things. Yeah, so my we talked a little bit about that kind of cash flow and debt conversation. I am a huge proponent of paying your credit cards off in full. Don't get me wrong, I love using them. I don't know a single business owner that doesn't want to go get their points and rack them up. I love my points. And credit cards are great. <laughs> I, I'm not going to Dave Ramsey you. We're not going to jump into the no credit cards, but you do need to pay it off and you need to be able to pay it off. So if you're going to put it on the credit card, you've got to have it in your budget first or in your bank account to be able to pay it. If you are still in that phase of what I will call bank account accounting, bank statement accounting, where you're looking at your bank account to figure out what you can or can't afford, make sure you give yourself some cushion because there's going to be things that haven't cleared and then make sure that you've got the money to pay whatever you're putting on the credit card back off. The second type of debt and the easiest, my favorite way to create a safety net in cash flow is a line of credit. And I actually love these. I love these for businesses that are growing. I love these for businesses that have longer turnover times where you're, you may spend the money in January and don't get paid until April. Mm. The, a line of credit allows you to still pay the bills for those months in between. And then when you do get paid, just like a credit card, you pay it back off and you try to keep it as close to zero. It sounds like this would, that would be wonderful for people who do launches because launches mm-hmm. are definitely like certain time frames throughout the year. You're not launching like every day. And so it's you're not getting that recurring income that you would if you had like a recurring billing type of model or, you know, you were doing something time and time again for different clients. You're launching, you're getting a big pool of money and then until you launch again, that's when you get your next influx of money. So yeah, or when you're launching, there's so much that goes into if you're paying for ads, if you're paying for a a tool to be able to do the launch, the mailing campaign, all of that, you're going to have to put costs out up front before you see money come in. So having a line of credit, and again, trying to budget what you think that money coming in will be realistically, so you're not overspending and overshooting in the expenses, we want you to be profitable on the launch. But being able to pull on that line of credit gives you some wiggle room. And that's really what it is. To me, a line of credit gives business owners some breathing space and some wiggle room. And it's there if you need it in the not so great uses of debt. We've all heard the talks of recession. We've heard people talking about downturns in the economy, all of those things. If you've still got to make payroll, I would rather you go pull on your line of credit and stay in business and give yourself breathing room to figure out how to move forward then sit there in this cash flow crunch of I don't know what to do and taking anything and everything you can get just to pay the bills. Yeah, I love that. So Danielle, if someone wants to learn more about you, your services, and how you can help them, where can they go? 
the best place to reach me is going to be my website. We have a contact page there. It is the number four, not the word, the number four cornerscfo.com. And we will create a special website, like side website, just for you guys. So it'll be fourcorners.com slash do less. So it'll be really easy to remember. Well, thank you so much, Danielle, for coming on. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much. This has been an amazing episode of Do Less with me, Shanice Miller. Share this episode with anyone who needs this today. Leave a five-star rating and review. And remember, if you're a business owner and you need to do less in your business, click the link in the description to work with me.